This episode of Mayo Clinic Talks is brought to you by National Dairy Council. Since 1915, National Dairy Council is dedicated to research and education of dairy foods. As a nonprofit organization founded by dairy farmers, National Dairy Council is committed to providing science-based education on dairy's nutritional benefits for health and wellness. Learn more at usdairy.com backslash National Dairy Council. This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. It's a well-accepted fact that diet plays a significant role in the development as well as prevention of cardiovascular disease, a major cause of medical complications and death in the United States. The typical U.S. diet results in a predisposition to obesity, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia, all risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Fortunately, diet is a reversible risk factor. As health clinicians, it's our responsibility to assess our patient's diet and make recommendations for a healthy food intake to reduce their risk for cardiovascular disease. The topic for today's podcast is nutrition and cardiovascular health, and our guests include preventive cardiologist Dr. Stephen Kopetsky and registered dietitian and nutritionist Tara Schmidt both from the Mayo Clinic. You're listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Steve and Tara, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for thank having you. us. What's wrong with our diet? What are we eating incorrectly? Something that I think I learned from Dr. Kopetsky and working together is we call it SAD, right? So the acronym <laughs> is, right? Did you teach me that? Standard right. American diet just so mm-hmm. happens to spell SAD. We have a lot of room for improvement that I think could happen, but it's just not happening, unfortunately. So we know that more than 80% of Americans have a dietary pattern that is low in fruits and vegetables. And then we're meeting the recommendations for grains and proteins, but actually the wrong kinds of grains and proteins. So there's a lot that could be done. So we've been eating this way for a long time. And what pathology has been going on in our blood vessels as a result of this? What are we seeing? Well, this is the unfortunate part, Daryl, is that all the things we've been eating have been affected not just our cholesterol, but also the inflammation. You know, we live in a very pro-inflammatory world. And when I say inflammation, I mean it irritates our tissues. And specifically, it comes down to our arteries. It irritates the arteries and causes them to to tear, to rupture the lining of the artery, have heart attacks, strokes, things like that. And we can only do so much with medicines. A lot of it depends on lifestyle. So are we seeing these pathologic changes, what, in the 50s, in the 60s? When does it start? Well, when it starts is unfortunately very young, in the teens, late teens usually. And it manifests or catches up with us in our 50s and 60s, but it started decades earlier. We're seeing some diagnoses in pediatrics that we previously only saw in adults, right? So examples would be fatty liver disease, hypertension, type 2 diabetes. Those were things that we never saw previously in in the pediatric world. And unfortunately, those are becoming more and more common. NASH cirrhosis is expected to be the number one reason for liver transplant moving forward. And that's, that's tough, especially when we think about our kiddos. And I recall seeing articles about individuals who died early with pathology in their blood vessels that we never guessed would have been happening in the teens and 20s. So true. 
So why are we making such poor nutritional choices in our diet? Well, from my viewpoint, it's what's in front of us. And meaning that, number one, you know, the majority of our calories now are ultra-processed foods, which means that there are things like uh, chips and dips and burgers and fries, especially our teenagers, uh, you know, and that's what they learn to eat. They continue on that. The other thing is we live in a pretty fast-paced world, and we don't really take the time to sit and eat. We're eating on the way to the soccer game or eating on in between patients we're seeing or clients that we're seeing very quickly. And so we're not making the best choices. So I absolutely agree with what Dr. Petsky said. And I would add either misinformation or lack of education, confusion from, let's just call it the media. Don't get me started on TikTok and all the really horrible <laughs> nutrition advice TikTok is doing our patients. Mm -hmm. I also think that we see a lot of focus on singular foods or singular ingredients and debating them where we should be looking at people's pattern of their diet and kind of the totality instead of villainizing these individual foods or debating over singular foods. What does the pattern of someone's diet look like? And let's start to focus on improvements there. Convenience, like Dr. Petsky said, time, taste preferences as well. So we're really familiar with highly palatable foods because of the ultra processed foods that we're exposed to. They're high in fat and sugar and those things taste good. And I think that there's a, a struggle as well about finding how to do this financially feasible, right? So I, I think we could have some advice on how to make a healthier diet, less expensive, but when you walk into the grocery store, it absolutely is, is pretty confusing when you compare how much an apple costs to what I could go get at a fast food restaurant for that amount. And the unfortunate part of that isn't, you know, fruit or vegetable, the, the profit margin is 10%. Ultra processed food, the profit margin is 90%. And so that's what's it's presented to us, and that's what we see. Well, and the fast food industry has got some pretty effective marketing out there. You, you know, you don't see a lot of commercials for broccoli nowadays. I just, you <laughs> hardly see that. So, what scientific evidence do we have that shows that diet really plays a role in the situation? Well, there have been studies that have looked at this. And when I say studies, there are a lot of retrospective, but that can have some bias, but there have been prospective studies where they say, you eat this food or eat that food, and we'll compare these groups together. And one of the big ones that we end up relying a lot on is the Mediterranean diet study that was done a few years ago that showed that eating the majority of your calories is fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grains, very little uh, ultra-processed foods, and uh, not much red meat. Remember, red meat is, is uh, white meat with a chicken on it or uh, the skin on it or of uh, dark meat chicken, not just the standard red meat. But the people that ate the first part of the diet, the Mediterranean, more olive oil and nuts, they live longer, they had less heart attacks, and they've also had less dementia, less cancers, less other diseases like atrial fibrillation, that uh, one of the diseases that's becoming quite rampant. So we have good studies that show us benefit from them. So is this pathology reversible or has the damage been done and we're kind of stuck with it? If we change our eating habits, can we fix things? There was a fascinating study, Daryl, called the DISCO study of giving people that had coronary disease, giving them a DASH diet, which was the you know low salt Mediterranean type diet, mm -hmm. uh, along with physical activity versus not. And all these people were on statins, by the way, to lower cholesterol. If they were on the DASH diet with physical activity, they lowered 
uh, actually regressed their coronary artery disease of lesions that could regress, meaning the lipid-rich, cholesterol-rich plaque in our arteries that resolved by 50%, which was much better than the group that didn't have that diet. So if I had to give my patients some words of advice and recommend they change certain aspects of their diet, what should I tell them? I think we both like to focus on what patients should be adding to their diet. So when Dr. Kopetsky described the Mediterranean diet, that's often a conversation I have of how much fruits, veggies, whole grains, fish mm. do you currently have? And let's bump that up. So having a more positive conversation as opposed to negative, but easy topics just to kind of run through should you have the time would be decreasing overall caloric intake if that patient has obesity without malnutrition, replacing saturated and trans fats with unsaturated. So we're not in the 90s anymore. We're not promoting a low fat diet, but replacement is what is most important. Reducing added sugar, reducing ultra processed foods and increasing dietary fiber. We say the phrase plant-based a lot. So not necessarily vegetarianism or veganism, but more plants. Okay. So Ty, you mentioned good fats. So we have some choices when we cook with oil. What's the difference between such things as canola oil or olive oil? Because they are different. Are they both healthy for us? And is one healthier than the other? Yeah, there's some debate here. So when we talk about unsaturated fats, I think the audience will know we have monounsaturated and we have polyunsaturated. Canola actually falls into both categories, but is more monounsaturated. Olive oil is also more monounsaturated. There hasn't been evidence to show that a specific ratio shows there's no significant difference in replacing as long as you're replacing the saturated fat with either kind of unsaturated fat. There's a little bit more promotion, I would say, of monounsaturated fat because it is essential. But I will talk about with patients what they're currently using. What oils or what butters are you currently grabbing from the pantry? And let's move them at least towards an unsaturated fat. And then we can also talk about processing. So I think Dr. Petsky has spoken previously about olive oil being less processed than canola. But there's also, we have peanut and we have sesame, and it might depend on someone's culture. It might depend mm -hmm. on the smoke point, and it might depend on their preference. So we have some options. Okay. How about alcohol? Where does that fit? Is that healthy or is it bad for us or is it both? Well, it, it, that's a really good question. And at any dose, alcohol causes irregular heartbeats, arrhythmogenic, as we say. One of my old mentors used to say that good intentions are dissolvable in alcohol in terms of how we eat. And so we tend to eat things we maybe shouldn't. The um, alcohol in the big studies, you know, small amounts, at least in the Mediterranean diet study of red wine, three ounces for women, five ounces for men a day actually seem to be beneficial. It does seem to help maybe, uh, but in general, we say if you don't drink, don't start it. And uh, if you do drink, keep it to very small amounts. Okay. How about dietary supplements? There's a lot out there and our patients are taking them. Are they helpful? I'm a dietitian, so a phrase that we use is diet first, if possible, right? So I'm not talking about people with deficiencies, but can we get this nutrient or micronutrient from our diet? Please do, because that's going to have more benefits than just the vitamin or the mineral that they're taking. And there's a little bit of concern, right, with supplements, of course. 
And we know that in studies, when people take supplements, we actually can see an increase in mortality, even though the vitamins that they're taking at times are ones that we absolutely do encourage people to include or even increase in their diet. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely. And um, remember, there was a great ad on TV a few years ago from a certain diet company that said when doctors wanted to study the benefits of diets, they chose our vitamin to add to the diet, and the ad stopped there. They didn't say the study showed no benefit of taking vitamins. <laughs> now, however, you know, people that live in where we live in northern Minnesota, it gets cold and dark in the winter, vitamin D and, and, uh, and calcium, things like that can be helpful. But in general, if you have a good diet, you don't need supplements. And if you take a lot of supplements, that doesn't replace a good diet. Well, I think a good example of what you're describing is omega-3 fatty acids and the fact that fish seem to give us a lot of benefit health-wise, but maybe not so much from omega-3 supplements. What, what's the story on that now? You know, in this country, we tend to find something that's healthy for us like fish find one small component of it and put it in a pill and sell it to us for like 10 times the price. Unfortunately, the fish oil studies of over-the-counter fish oil have not shown much benefit. We actually recommend the patients don't uh, just take the fish oil, but instead try to eat the fish because there's so many more things in the fish that may be good for you. And it may be the totality of the idea that you're focusing on, you know, cooking, getting a fish and cooking it. And, and as long as it's not fried with a lot of tartar sauce on it, can be very good for you, especially the oilier fishes. Yeah. We also know that foods interact positively with each other, right? So when we're eating foods in conjunction with each other, there are benefits there. Example I'll give sometimes for individual nutrients is vitamin C, right? And what would be the benefits of eating a pile of strawberries or having an orange or having peppers as opposed to taking vitamin C? And we know, right? We know about the volume. We know about the low calorie density. We know about the satiety factor. So there's always more than just the vitamin or mineral that we're talking about. You both mentioned several different diets, uh, DASH diet, Mediterranean diet. Can you review with us what's in those diets and what should we be eating that's healthy? The two that we've been talking about, so Mediterranean, DASH, also MIND diet, Mayo Clinic diet could go in this category as well, have all been recognized by U.S. World News and Report as some of the best diets. And the good thing about this is that they have similar patterns, right? So maybe the research is different. DASH was done to research its effect on hypertension. Mediterranean research was done to look at its effect on cardiovascular health. But generally speaking, we're looking at the same list over and over. So we're looking at lean proteins. We're looking at whole grains unsaturated fats, specifically olive oil, fruits, vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes. Those things are part of all of these diets. You're not going to see big differences. So I will say if we can focus on a plant-based diet and then choose how our patient discuss how our patient's going to get their protein intake, be it lean animal sources or plant-based, they all kind of start to look the same, which is good, right? It's less confusing that way. I get patients who, after I've described what they should be eating, they say, well, that sounds good, doc, but aren't the medicines you have much more powerful? Can't you achieve a lot lower LDL cholesterol with some of your medicines than I can with my diet? How do I mm -hmm. respond to that? Yes, and that's probably true that you can lower LDL cholesterol more. 
However, there are a couple of big studies, Daryl, that looked at this and looked at the patients on statins and also how they ate. And the one questionnaire was, did you eat a Mediterranean diet? And they asked the specifics of what they ate. And they found that about 40% of the, of the people that were in the lowest 40% of the healthy diet, while their LDL came down very nicely on the statin, they didn't have a reduction in the things like heart attacks and strokes and, and needing a stent or a bypass. And that's what we're really interested in doing is preventing those events. We can have more than one benefit. So exactly what Dr. Kovetsky is saying, if we look at the diets that we've been describing today, there's lower risk of all-cause mortality. There's lower risk of cardiovascular disease and mortality from cardiovascular disease. We've got LDL, we've got blood pressure, we have decreased risk of obesity. We have this long list that we can share with patients that's not just their LDL. Love that. So again, it's it's a lot like the omega-3 in fish oil It's uh, or eating fish. You know, it may be healthier to um, use the diet in a healthy manner rather than just take one component of it and uh, work on that LDL, whatever, omega-3, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, you've given us some really important information. Can you summarize our discussion and maybe give two or three key points that you think are important? I would say to start out, uh, two things. One is one bite, meaning one bite better. If you replace some sausage with uh, some black beans or broccoli or something, after a couple of years, that's actually been shown to lower your risk of heart attack. So don't think that you have to do big changes, small changes. One bite Mm -hmm. can make a difference. The second thing is beware ultra-processed foods. We're all eating way too many of them. Our kids are getting addicted to them because they have been found to be addictive, you know, early on in life at age three or four you know, the cereals with sugar and such, and they continue to eat them the rest of their life. So be very careful about the processed foods, which are, uh, you know, come in boxes and, and in cellophane and things like that, and try to replace them with something that's, you know, like Tara was saying, that is grows from a plant from the ground or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's help our patients add more nutrient-dense foods to their diet. So instead of shaming them or discussing what they need to eat less of or what they need to eliminate, can help them with that list of really beneficial foods. So I always try to talk about additions. I think I mentioned that. There are multiple patterns or styles of eating that we can use. So we want to match that, of course, to our patient's preferences. And don't overcomplicate it, right? I think a lot of us know the quote from Michael Pollan, right? Eat foods mostly plants, not too much. So eat a healthy diet and live younger, longer. Steve, have you ever thought about writing a book on that? (laughs) That is a great idea, Daryl. I'll I'll work on that tomorrow. (laughs) Actually, you do have a book and I'll give you a chance to promote it. Tell us about it. Well, you're very kind. uh, It's all about lifestyle. It has not only chapters on diet and exercise and stress and sleep, but also how to change your lifestyle. Diets are chapters on habits, which are over half of what we eat a day and over half of what we do is a habit. Also, special chapters uh, on millennials. I'm a, a baby boomer, have something on baby boomers. We have three children that are millennials and talk about a lot of things on not just what to do, but how to get it done. I'm a geriatric millennial, so that makes you feel <laughs> But I do have a copy of a signed copy of the book. I actually have one too. It's an easy read. It's out yeah. there. Read it. Don't wait for the movie to come out. We've been discussing nutrition and cardiovascular health with cardiologist Dr. Stephen Kopetsky and registered dietitian Tara Schmidt. 
Steve and Tara, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you for thank having you, us. Carol. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week. <laughs>